It's season two, episode three. It's still the Press Play and Run podcast, and I'm still Ryan Miller. This week, I'm joined by a guest to talk, amongst other things, all about the Devil of the Highlands foot race, a race I've since withdrawn from with an ankle injury. I decided to still put the episode out because I know there's still a lot of people doing that race and there's just some brilliant information in here for anyone taking on anything from beginning a running journey to marathons to ultra marathons. So I wanted to share that conversation with Martin with you. In my own running, it's been a quieter couple of weeks. I was delighted to be invited to Elise Fryer's Run Club in Paisley for their first birthday bash. Um, Elise got me there under the pretense of saying it would potentially be like three or four people. And she was looking for just a couple of people to speak to the group about their running, keep that positivity around it. And what transpired was actually closer to 30 or 40 people there. So it was an amazing turnout. It just shows you the power of a Costco cake. But with a brilliant night, I met some great people and I really enjoyed hearing about the running um, of some of the other speakers as well as meeting the people at the club. So congratulations, Elise, and thank you for inviting me to that. I also took part in the Lululemon Couch to Connect celebration evening. So well done to Amy on the end of, I think that's maybe an eight-week block that group's been running for. That's a social run club on a Wednesday night. And I just saw actually a post from Amy to say that that is going to be restarting and will be running permanently. So Wednesdays at half five, leaving from Lululemon, I'll share the information. It was a really cool place to be doing that type of session and apart from me being the most inflexible runner in the land, uh, it was something that I really enjoyed being a part of and I've actually tried to keep it going. I've done that session a few times on my own trying to improve because it's no good being the only one sitting there shaking like a dog when everybody else looks like they know what they're doing. Because of the said ankle injury that's led to me withdrawing from the Devil of the Highlands Ultra that I was planning to run, I've had a bit of a reset as well, probably just hit that rut that everybody finds in their running when you get a bit of a setback. But I did pass a thousand miles for the year last week and that was actually my annual target. So I'd set that target which was double what I managed the year prior anyway and I've already hit it in July. So it just goes to sort of highlight the upward trajectory that my running's been on. So I'm really, really grateful for the progress. But I've taken a wee bit of time to reset, decide what I want out of the next few months. There are a few things potentially going on in the background that I'm looking forward to bringing to you if they come to fruition. But the couple of decisions that I have made is I've signed up for the Paisley 10K. Look forward to having a good crack at that one. I have also set my sights on running a sub-19 minute park run time so I've, I've hovered in and around there I've been as close as 1905 in the last few weeks that was in the run up to the marathon in Edinburgh but I just can't quite go over the hump so I'm going to try and do a bit more speed work and get that and I've also taken on a huge challenge that's going to force me to do some strength and conditioning so I've signed up to High Rocks which to anybody who doesn't know what that is it's a functional fitness race and that's going to be taking place in Manchester um, in the new year in, towards the end of January so I'll share much more about that nearer the time if people are interested in it but that's something to really probably replace the devil of the highlands for me and being that scary goal that takes me out of my comfort zone I always like to have that to make sure that I, I can stay focused and keep that intensity in my training because I've already felt the lull after the withdrawal from the devil of the highlands this weekend, we've got the really exciting community event of the podcast volunteer takeover at Strathclyde Park Run. So we are going to fulfil all the volunteer roles and I'm really looking forward to meeting up with some of the community again and to meeting some people for the first time. On that front, 
huge congratulations to one of our listeners, Lainey McGowan, on her 100th part run at the weekend. And upcoming congratulations to Newton Roadrunners Club President Joanne Thorburn, who I'm actually hoping to have on down the line to talk about the Newton Road Race that should be actually getting launched fairly soon. Uh, she's going to celebrate her 100th part run at Shrekley Park this weekend. So we're going to be there in the volunteering capacity to gas her up, cheer her on. But fantastic achievements from both ladies. So well done on that. I'm keeping my intro short and sweet this week because it's a longer episode with Martin. I did manage to chop the conversation a bit, but it was just such a rich conversation that I wanted to leave in things that I think the listeners will benefit from. So I really hope you enjoy. As always, you can help us out with feedback to the guest, sharing the pod, joining the Press Playing Run Club over on Facebook, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. You know the drill by now. But until then, keep getting the trainers on, press play and run. In this episode, I'm joined by a man that's done 500 miles more often than the Proclaimers. His running journey has taken him from the familiar beginnings of the everyday runner to his most recent and arguably crowning achievement, a 134-mile epic run along the John Muir Way, raising money for a charity close to his heart, inspired by his late father. Welcome to the Press Plane Run podcast, Martin Gray. How are you, Martin? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me along. Just uh, I'm glad to get a... The break of work. I work in the in the motor industry, and it's month end and quarter end, so it's been a pain. It's a painful week, so this is a welcome respite to the mundane madness of the of the car industry. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to this. I won't tell them about the stress that I could see in your face when we first logged on here. Then, <laughs> since I don't have that kind of end of my my job is the same level of pressure now every day. So I don't I don't uh, envy you for having maybe that. So that will explain some of the questions of why you run so much. That kind of stress. Um, so, no, I was going to say I agree with you. I think I think my job and the stresses that my job um, gives me certainly makes me uh, want to get out and eat, especially in the morning, running in the morning, and, and I certainly feel myself better um, equipped to deal with the to deal with the day. Yeah, but I don't know if it's always great if the best bit of your day's happened and it's not seven o'clock in the morning yet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that can take its toll after a few weeks. Um, so I wanted to kick off today by pointing people towards another podcast. It's probably not the traditional way we start, but Martin, um, you've heard that intro there. Martin was on the Young Hearts Run Free podcast, and that's a podcast I've dipped in and out of, uh, especially starting since starting this journey. So you had a, an absolute fantastic episode on that just released a couple of weeks ago, and that really goes into depth on your own running story. Now, we're going to come at it from a slightly different angle today. I am going to get a wee bit of the cliff notes of your running background, but I also want to take you to a place where I'm really tapping into your expertise and experience of trail running, race running, ultra running, because it's a brand new world to me. I'm clueless. What better than to ask a man that knows? So anybody who hears this one, and I know that you'll want to dig in a bit more, follow Martin. I would really, really um, encourage you to go and have a listen to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast. It's a cracking episode and great relationships between you and the guys there. So how did that come about? I'll ask you that before I start. How? What is your involvement with the, the hosts of Young Hearts? Again, I run for or I run... Uh, as part of a uh, team pylon, so I'm, I'm coached by James Stewart, and they've had a number of um, they've had a number of guests on, and probably one of the good things of social media, I know it's got its detractors, but you end up forming relationships with people you don't really know that well, and it's just through interaction with the podcast and through mutual friends, 
it, so much expired that I ended up going to Malaga last year to run the Malaga Marathon with Stevie Watt, who's obviously one of the co-hosts. I didn't know Stevie at all, apart from the odd conversation. But I think what had happened in Stevie's run up to Boston, we started messaging each other through mutual friends. And I was um, I was training for Manchester. He was training for Boston. And we were kind of helping each other out a little bit. So there was before I met him face to face, there was certainly a friendship that had formed online, which was quite nice. And then the odd mention in the podcast through various different things, we recorded a small kind of 20 minute Q&A in the flat after the marathon because there was five guys that had ran the marathon and everybody gave a kind of overview of how their day went. And that's probably how it, how it, how it kept on going. And I think Stevie had kept in touch and then I'd spoken to John a few times and I'd, I'd patched this run twice because I got injured. So they always wanted to to have me on to talk about it. So that was that was how it kind of transpired. And Stevie had suggested, look, if we do it on the Monday, it's a couple of days after the run, it'll be quite raw. And I did listen to it. Uh, when I drove down to Milton Keynes uh, with work last Tuesday and I was pleasantly surprised, Ryan, because I know everybody says they don't like the sound of their own voice, but I was conscious that I'd prattled on for a long, long time. But what it has given me is a kind of raw account of how the day went and how the, probably the, the 48 hours just after it. And I'll hold on to that because I don't, I'm not a blogger. And as I say, I probably wouldn't have written anything down. So it's a good keepsake for, for me, as will this be two weeks on, yeah. where... I've had more time to reflect on it um, because, and I'll, I'll say this more than once, it was it was life-changing. Yeah, I really believe that, um, the whole experience and everything that it meant to me. So to have such a wonderful running experience over two separate podcasts at different times with a different slant is something that I'll treasure. Yeah, but um, is that, that rings true for me because you actually mentioned before we started recording that you'd listened to the marathon episode of my marathon episode of this podcast yeah. and similar thing for me I was a bit reticent about almost stepping into that interview each year because it's not what I've normally done but I have listened back to it and there is a rawness to it doing it that quickly and I appreciated that listening to your Young Hearts episode as well it's not filtered you've not had the benefit of hindsight and nostalgia and like if I ask you about it in a year you would give very different answers because you forget the you 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 tend to remember the better bits the best bits and you forget some of those really trying moments so uh, it will always be hopefully a good keepsake and you're not that far removed from it as well so but you've had enough time that probably the lens has changed slightly um over what you experienced on the day and where you where it sits now so i'm really looking forward to digging in um to that the guys did a great job with you so definitely as i said make sure you go back there if you want a probably a fuller account of particularly your running past and on the day that race we will get to it but we won't go in as much depth because i've got other things in store for you so <laughs> segueing on then martin i want to get to the premise of this show which is the everyday runner and we had another brief chat there where you're saying People will see the things that you've accomplished, the feats that we're going to go on and speak about and think, I could never do that. He's not like me. But everybody started with that first run or everybody started with, in your case, a charity run or a work run or something like that. Can you take me back to the beginning of that journey and give me the Cliff Notes version of probably from beginner runner through to when it started to get into that bit more serious stuff in and around marathons? Yeah, I mean, I don't need to get into a lot of the detail about, you know, again, the charity around my work, but even I remember deciding to run a 10K, which was the Men's Health 10K, which would have been probably 2010, I think. It might have been 2011. And 
I remember training for that and getting out my door. I went to um, Achilles Heel and bought a pair of Brooks Adrenaline GTS. I think I went in and got um, I went in and got measured for a shoe. And I remember going out and getting two lampposts and I was walking, you know. So even though I'd done the charity thing and where there was a 30-mile cycle followed by a six or seven-mile run, to start to train for a, a 10K, I was I was nowhere because I, I, I didn't have any mates that ran. So I was doing it myself. I'd see runners, but I didn't really know anybody that I could I could tap into for experience. So you start to go online and you learn a little bit. But I got to the start line of that 10K and, and ran it in 47 minutes and Somebody had commented that was a no bad time for a first 10k, and, but it's always the same, isn't it? You know, after you've done it a few more times and you get past that horrible first mile, that's a, a pivotal point for me. And I think, and I do remember this. I remember going out and enjoying it from the first step, not starting to enjoy it from the first step of the second mile. Now, and, and whilst there'll be runs that I'll still go out and no enjoy it for the first step, 95% of the time, even in the pissing rain as it was this morning. I'm enjoying it from the first step because I'm out the house. Um, and I do remember the kind of gradual change that a lot of people probably go through when it's still hurting after mile one and mile two, and maybe they get to mile three, or maybe it doesn't happen at all, and that happiness doesn't come until they're in the shower, but it does come eventually. You yeah. do get to the point where it becomes enjoyable. Yeah, and sometimes it needs to be the process of it becoming less painful before it becomes enjoyable. It's just not as bad as the last time and, yeah. and you need to get there. But 47 minutes is a fast time and it's probably faster than some people. That would be those runners that have been running for years that would aspire to that type of time. But again, everything's relative there. What was your level of physical activity before that? Because if you're rocking up and cracking that kind of time out, where was the fitness, that yeah. general fitness coming from? I played badminton a couple of times a week, uh, maybe once a week. I went to the gym. I would always try and go to the gym, maybe do a spin class. So although I was certainly overweight, no question, I was 12 or 13 stone. But as I look back at pictures of myself then, I look fat and relative to me now. But I would speak to people like my wife at the time, still, still my wife and my mother, and they would never think I was fat, but I looked fatter. But I suppose that, I, that was the way I ran a 47-minute. 10k yeah. and, and so there was a core level of fitness there yeah. um that probably allowed me to run at that pace but to be honest I, I played football for a couple of years and I wasn't very good at it I played rugby a, a lot more than I played football and was okay at it so I'd always done bits and pieces which had I mean I wasn't I could always walk and I'd done a bit of hill walking uh, with me so there was always a core fitness there if I, even if I didn't maintain it and that went up and down, which probably allowed that 47 minutes. Yeah. But I don't know where that came from because I didn't know all the pacing. No. I didn't even have a I didn't even have a Garmin on. I just had a normal I went I went and bought myself a sports watch that had a stopwatch on it that allowed yeah. me to press yeah. start and go. So yeah. I wasn't sure what pace I was running at. I just went and ran. And don't get me wrong, Ryan, I was hanging, absolutely hanging by the end of it because it goes into Bella Houston Park. It was half a mile of loops and I was in tears going, when does this end? You That's know? exactly what I was going to say there. Your 47 minutes, as impressive as it is, will have felt every bit as painful for somebody that's running it in an hour and 10 their first time. You know, it's still yeah. on your limit and you're probably just in survival mode and a bit in that mentality. But I'm glad you clarified that But your wife. I've never had them to get divorced live on the show before. <laughs> Unless she's just not told you. I hope she pops in during that. <laughs> so that starts there. 10k 47 minutes but it is such a relative thing i look at my early 5k times as well and again they are actually quite quick but i was coming from a football background 
but I also know how much I was suffering. It was bloody determination and stubbornness that was getting them. It was not enjoyable at first. It was just... No, it wasn't. I remember my first half as well, which was the Glasgow half, and I stopped in the Broome Law. And a mate who, now, who well, my brother's mate, stopped beside me and said, are you all right? I said, no, I'm done. He says, I'm able to go. You can't stop now. But whether it was, a, again, an experience of fueling, I didn't, I didn't fuel at all in that half marathon. Um, I think it would have been maybe 147, 148. I can't, I need to double check that, but it was, it certainly wasn't under the 145. And that was, again, inexperienced, not really knowing what I'm doing, and certainly hitting the brick wall, right over, come over the Squinty Bridge, took a right, and I think I managed just to get under the Kingston Bridge before it all went went wrong. And then it was, yeah. again, a death march into, into Glasgow Green. So, but again, you're learning, aren't you? And you're, I got annoyed at that, so I'd ask a few questions, and you're asking more questions, particularly on, on the nutrition piece and what were people doing. I didn't think I'd need to fuel for a half marathon. I, I was wrong. So, yeah. but then you do a few more, and I've, I, I'm pretty sure I got my half marathon time down to one thirty four, and then sub one thirty, and then it improves again. I think Aloha half would have been in twenty eighteen, would have been one twenty four, I think, or one twenty three. Yeah. I think my half marathon PB now is actually when I'm marathon in my marathon time, so I've no run a competitive half since Aloha. But yeah. again, it's just about chipping away at it. It is, and it's not what can look like a raging success in a ridiculous time is four or five years in the making of learning, making mistakes, suffering, and that's that is everybody's journey to an extent. If you're going to push to get better, you're going to fail along the way. But I'm interested a wee bit in the sense of community. You're saying you asked the questions. To my shame, I didn't actually know you had a social media account until this whole run that you were doing because actually you're one of the very few guests that I've met in real life and not didn't know you had done. <laughs> so my Insta profile is not that 2019 or something I think opened it and it's mostly been road runners, relative beginner runners and my world's slowly growing there but I didn't know you were online. Who were you asking in those earlier days? Was it an online community or did you start to meet people running around your area? I started to meet people uh, and I would message people and even there's a chap called John Kiniston who you may or may not have come across. John was a Kilbarkin runner and unfortunately he died a couple of years ago. But I think it was a brain hemorrhage, but he certainly it was, it was extremely unusual because he was just maybe, it just popped, tipped over into 50. But I'd seen or I'd known about John running in the Kilpatrick Hills. Now the Kilpatrick Hills are just three miles from me. I would have walked up there as a kid and I would have probably camped up there with mates with a couple of cans of tenants, but I'd never been on the trails and I was probably too scared to go myself. Where I, Whereas I should have just have gone myself, but I didn't want to go. I was asking folk about routes. That was maybe towards maybe 2018, 2019. But before that, I would just ask questions on nutrition or people in work who maybe some of my customers who'd ran and I would ask them to, to, to take gel. So just probably reaching out. I, I probably didn't use social media that much, certainly with Instagram, until about 2018, 2019, when you start to meet other folk. And certainly when I started taking coaching on in 2018, then it you're opened up to more people and there's more people available to you particularly a coach obviously because that fundamentally changes how you train but up until that 2018 point it was just sporadically reaching out to people which I think is easier now because of social media you know there are a lot of people on there I got a message today from somebody who actually got in touch with me because they'd listened to the podcast and wanted to congratulate me which is humbling and, and really nice but then asked a question on the I'd mentioned these little um, shop block things that I'd used and I'd said I think on the podcast I got them on Amazon but I'd mentioned how good they were and she actually reached out and said can you send me the link so 
but I suppose I'm not sure. I'm not saying that took a lot of uh, uh, what's the word? No, guts is the wrong word. But people people should be able just to reach out and ask a question because yeah. that's how we help each other. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I, and I've found that community pretty much exclusively positive. Like I've never so far touch would never come across any sort of negatives people are very willing to give their time um especially if you're being genuine about the questions that you're asking and asking things for the right reason it's been a it's been a great place for me certainly um i the Kilpatrick hills will come to i've knocked back several runs with you without you knowing through we have a mutual <laughs> friend colin who's invited me and I, when he asks me to go there i'm like who's going he says you i'm like no chance i've seen his strava i know how far <laughs> that's going to be i know how sore that's going to be i still don't understand how colin's getting himself around there i think you've got him in one of those little things that you pull the wings along in with wheels in the back I think you know how determined he is, uh, and when he sets his mind to something, he's doing it. So, uh, stubborn little ass of a man. He is, as was the case with with his wonderful performance at Glen Lyon in twenty six degree heat, and he yeah. really did, you know, give a phenomenal account of himself. And it's it's testament to his determination. He's another good example of someone who, you know, has just will just put the effort in to train, and the, and then he gets the he gets the results, which is great to see. He keeps telling me he's only training to outrun a bad diet. So, it, and, <laughs> and I would I tend to agree with him, but he gave me his uh, hydration vest the other day for, for a run. So I won't say anything else too bad about him, but uh, he's doing, he's doing amazing. But that just shows you again, surrounding himself, the knowledge he's taken from you. Cause he would have, I, I saw him at the beginning of his running. Uh, yeah. Like close up. He is a good friend of mine and he was the guy struggling to get the 5k in the 10k. It was run walk. It was running for two weeks, not running for three. But now there's just a consistency yeah. and it's just a part of what he does. It's amazing to see that. Is, there is one thing I would say, Ryan, and I do say this to him on a weekly basis, you cannot out-train a bad diet. Well, so, I know, but he's trying his bloody best. He's trying his bloody hardest. <laughs> and all, but he'll eventually realise that he can't. <laughs> well, I went to get the hydration vest off him. Um, I drove through and he was at his father-in-law's on Saturday. Uh, and he said I'm there I think there was a fair on out your way or something like that and he'd been at it and so I went to pick it up and he comes out and he's like hey my father-in-law we're, we're sneaking to the pub can you just drop me off I'm like there, there, therein lies the problem I only came for a hydration vest and I ended up doing the tour to get him to the pub so he is trying his best to out, outrun that diet but it won't work it won't work in the long run so Martin you move on then from that type of running where you're constantly picking up bits and pieces races times are coming down and then for me, the marker is usually when people start to think about marathons and there's a there's something that has to change there if you're going to... I've, I've spoken to enough people now to know that something has to change if you're going to survive and enjoy that experience and ever want to do it more than once if you don't want it to be horrific. So what was that? You said something in the podcast that was there was no epiphany for you. So well, there wasn't, Ryan. I think, sorry to cut across you, I don't think there was in terms of starting running. I think I didn't think there was a problem. However, to take your point, when I decided to do Edinburgh in 2016, I certainly had to change my focus a little bit. It wasn't, and that's not to belittle a 10k or a half marathon, but if I wanted to perform at a marathon, I would probably have to make some changes. Yeah, and you, even if you want to survive it and run it with any kind of time in mind, so how, that first experience for you, what was the goals sort of going into that first marathon then in Edinburgh? I wanted to run 3.30 and, and I, I thought about this and I can't remember why I decided 3.30. I think I got a bit better with pacing. I hadn't bought a Garmin yet, but I was certainly using an Apple Watch at the time, which was helpful. And I think I'd realised that, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure 7.45 per mile pace is 
I think it's there or thereabouts. And I thought maybe I could sustain that. And I thought sub 330 was probably a reasonable time to, I know it's arbitrary, but I thought, well, that's that's maybe a decent benchmark. And I'd seen people, I think I was using Strava by this point, or maybe I was using the Nike app, and I'd seen people running around then in that time and thought, well, you know, I, I, I could probably do what they're doing, you know, compare myself to that type of runner. So that's where I got to 330. And I knew there'd be a 3.30 pacer. And also it was quite easy to try and find a online marathon training plan yeah. for that goal time. They love a round number. They do love a round number, don't they? Those you can either you can either run three thirty or three forty five. It's like nothing in between. (laughs) And what what was your time in that one? Three thirty two. So it wasn't the um it wasn't too far away. And that was again marathon inexperience hit the wall around Musselburgh or maybe just before Preston Pans and and certainly I remember stopping a little bit or walking a little bit. So, but I remember thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that time. That, that's quite good. Um, yeah. And I had put the effort and I'd made some, I think I'd stopped totally drinking, but well, I hadn't, I know I hadn't, but I certainly made some sacrifices and started to maybe not so much look at my diet in the way that I do now, but just try and eat a bit healthier yeah. um, and introduce a little bit more healthy food than maybe I would, I would have had hither to that point. Yeah. And if I was to chuck you out on that course for for Edinburgh Marathon in 16 weeks from now, how different would your training look now to then? Not night and day. In what sense? Speed work. I still wasn't doing speed work before Edinburgh because I hadn't joined Cobarkin, which is what I did do to introduce speed work. So even though, although I was maybe doing the odd little fartlet from a, a training plan, it, it wasn't particular to me. And I wasn't probably, I was just... It was more just about up in the mileage. So I, I say I was follow, following a generic plan. I just remember using it to up the mileage gradually so that I would get to like a 20-mile run two weeks out. But there was no hill work. I mean, I I do a lot of um, strides within an easy run. I'll do, you know, I'll pick ups at the end of a run just to change it up a little bit. And I wasn't yeah. doing any of that. And no hill work and, and, and a very limited amount of speed work, which is what yeah. I think you need to be doing in order to get to a decent marathon time. And even coming off a generic plan, which I did for Manchester the year it was cancelled with COVID, was a generic plan. I wasn't running with a club at that point either. It said things like strides and pickups and stuff. I had no clue what that meant. Like That's it, exactly it, the point. Yeah, It, it gives you a little that? description, but in terms of like intensity or what that should feel like, look like, not a clue. So I would just ignore that bit and just do them. So I was getting Brian, the mileage think- up, but not a clue. Yeah, I'm the same as that. Actually, now that you say that, that's I think what I did because I didn't know what a stride was. I didn't yeah. know what subsidies were. So I wouldn't do them because I thought, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. And and also, again, you don't need a watch to build that, but it's helpful because you could just use lampposts to do surges or strides yeah. or you can do pickups. But again, still using an Apple watch where you can't actually build a session on like, on like a Garmin yeah. or, or Suunto or whatever now. So I wasn't using any of that either. Yeah. So I did probably just discount it. Yeah, there's so, there's so much learning in that first time around the, the clock, and I didn't even get to run the race that time because of the, the COVID thing, thankfully, because I know how much I bloody struggled at Edinburgh. That one would have been, that would have brutalised me because I would probably set out with a relatively similar pace and hit the wall even earlier. But there's so much learning, even what easy means. And you get that so much more readily at a club with people that have done it who are saying, yeah. I'm like, there's a guy who runs... 45 minutes quicker than me in a marathon. He's running slower than me in an easy run. That's not right. Something, it does a disconnect there that you learn from other people. And as I think, I mean, I use Strava and I quite enjoy it. I like the social side of it to a point and I use it 
a lot for route planners. I, I'm away with work quite a lot, so I go to Birmingham and I find out where someone's ran, which is helpful to me. But it does have its negatives, and I see people on there. One of the things that really annoys me is someone says, out for an easy run, and they're doing 7.15 pace. In no one's world, that's easy. Kipchoge yeah. runs easy yeah. at 8.30s. So, you know, that annoys me because that's unhelpful to people who are trying to learn. Yeah. You know, I've got a 2.44.32 marathon under my belt, and easy for me is still 8-minute mile pace or 5-minute yeah. per kilometre pace. Mm-hmm. So, and if easy for Kipchoge is even slower than that, then... That's important because that's where we get injured if we don't respect what easy is and how that is important into a, a weekly a weekly training block. The Bishop Town Kipchoge is how I've always thought of you. <laughs> There's two sides to that. There's two sides to those um, people on online. Though there is the those who are doing it to be quite frankly an arse that want to sound like they're rapid. So that's my easy pace when it's not easy at all. You look at you just need to see heart rate data and you go that was not easy for for anybody and then there's those that are probably that inexperienced that they think it's easy because it's 20 seconds a k or a, a mile slower than being on your limit it's just i think easy is such a sliding scale and that's again surrounding yourself with people that know running yeah. together it, it's such a help and you you progress then from that first marathon that sounds very like my first marathon there which was 330 I didn't spend nearly enough time at marathon pace and training because I kept up in that projection of what I thought I could do yeah. so then I'd spent less of the block at the type of pace I was hoping to run and I think I paid for that probably towards the end so I learned so many things that I would take on to the next one if it happens um but you kept progressing you and then you made that decision and you made a reference to it you moved to coaching we're fast forwarding a bit plenty of races in between but I'm going to take you back the way later to some of them what was the decision making around it's time for a coach like a, a, a chap called Davey Gow who um, is actually come off Strava recently but he's quite a decent hill runner he, he good mates with Donnie Campbell and I, he was another person I'd reached out to um, because I knew he ran in the Co-Patricks and I just wanted somebody to take me out there and he was Davey lovely guy so he was happy to, to take me for a take me for a run and he had a coach he was coached by Paul Giblin and, and I remember thinking at the time why did you get a coach mate you know you're just a, you know I just didn't see it. But I'd ran him a few more times and he'd explain it a bit more to me. And I thought, well, do you know, I quite like the idea of that. Um, and then I went away to a pylon weekend in 2018, uh, which was up in um, up in Aviemore, an inaugural pylon weekend I'd never been on before, and met a few of the people that I've now become quite close to, like James Stewart and Paul Giblin and, and Debbie martin Consani, and, and they were all coached by Paul and were coaching as well. So I learned a lot at that weekend, which was really helpful. And then I think in the June, um, or it must have been April or May actually of that, because that was in February, I took the plunge and, and messaged Paul and said, "Yeah, I think I think I could. I think I would. I think I would enjoy this." Um, I spoke to my wife about it, and it's, it was just, I think it was similar to a gym membership for a month, so it's not an yeah. obscene amount of money. Um, Can I ask you something just because I had to Google this after I heard you talking about it? Can you tell me what Pylon is? Who Pylon are? So Pylon, so it's a chap called Paul Giblin, who um, is from Paisley, actually. And the, the Pylon name came up because he was a DJ down in London, and his name was DJ Pylon. <laughs> so it's as, it's, as, it's as nondescript as that. And he, I think he needed a, a business name. Uh, Paul's an international athlete. He's sponsored by Compress Sport, and he's, he's ran Western States three or four times, top 10 at, top 10 at UTMB. So he's, he's extremely successful in a lot of ultras. He's won a lot of ultra races. Yeah. 
he held the record for uh, West Highland Way. Um, mm-hmm. He had a famous battle with Robbie Britton, I think, in the 2014 race where the two of them were going toe-to-toe. So Paul's a, a pretty accomplished runner. Yeah. And he started this business for coaching and took and started coaching James and Debbie and some of the kind of well-known names in the Scottish ultra scene. So that's what I was going to get at there. This is, if you are like me and probably now starting to dip my toe in the water of ultra running or even trail running, no, it doesn't need to be ultra. These are not names that were overly familiar. I knew who Debbie was because of the connection with Markathon. Yeah. Um. So I knew that, which is the run streak in December. But I just thought it was worth elaborating on who those people are because if people are dipping their toe in i've followed a lot of them recently and my goodness there's some accomplished individuals there but there's also you'll pick up tons from what they're doing what how they're training where they're at you know roots as well no that's a a really good point ryan and and i probably now take it for granted that because there's a level of friendship there with a lot of those people and we run together but again I, i take you back to my comment earlier where i didn't really have any mates that ran so i probably wanted to almost ingratiate myself a little bit into that world because I wanted to learn and understand and I did after running a couple of marathons and a couple of ultras I, I liked the idea of an ultra but I remember running up the Copartics with another mate actually who'd, who'd asked me to sign up to Glenogo 33 which is a 33 mile race in, um, in, in, in Killen in November I, I probably the inaugural ultra for a lot of people and he started talking about the West Island Way race and I couldn't believe that there was actually people raced it yeah. You know, so, and that was only 2018, 20, maybe 2017. So I wasn't part of that world then either. And again, I didn't know yeah. that, that there was actually a race where people ran all the way from. I knew what the West Island Way was. I'd walked it when I was 17, the mates. Yeah. But I didn't know if folk ran it. And I'm thinking, who the hell runs 97 miles along the West Island Way? They're off their heads. But, uh, uh, yeah. But I said that as an, I, I'd ran a marathon at that point. So mm-hmm. it wasn't as if I'm running a 5K. Can't, I can't get my head around 97 mile. I've run a marathon and I kind of get my head around 97 miles. That, and that's where I find myself right now. That's the exact point of the journey that I'm on where you're a different proposition because I've seen your mileage for years. I've followed you in Strava for a long time. And like I said, I didn't know you even had the social media profile. I first met you, you were eating chips by like the handful at a party. <laughs> I don't know if you were on or off the drink at that point, but I'm sure I'm sure there was something there about vegan and chips are vegan. And you were just like, yeah, you must have had a race upcoming. You were carb loading, we'll call it. But that demystifies, that separated you as a runner and you as a person because I'd met you in person first. Then I've seen these runners that you're speaking about and you can become thinking they're otherworldly, but these are the people you run with. They are people that put the graft in and put the work in. And what I wanted to get from you was at that point you moved to the coach and what's that commitment been like to, to move from, let's say where I am now, to this guy who's now run those races that you could never see yourself in yeah. and run them several times. And how do you square that circle between the commitment that's needed and the rest of your life? You spoke about work, but you've got family on top. It's not easy. And, and, and to be honest, I was scared and the transition scared me. Paul, by his own admission, is terrible at getting back to people. So when I finally convinced myself to message him and he hadn't get back to me within a week, I was quite pleased. And then he did get back to me and I thought he asked me for some information about my background and a bit more detail. And then he took another couple of weeks to get back to me. And in those periods that nothing was happening, I was quite happy. And then I had to make a decision, which was, um, well, he suggested that James would be great for me, James Stewart, because James has got two kids, a busy job, and I would be able to relate to that. But there was going to be another couple of weeks before James was going to call me. So again, 
going, well, thank God, because I, I just wasn't sure about the commitment. And once I got over that, then there was, I, was even, I was even more scared because then I would get my plan and the plan would come through and I would see detailed what I was to do on a daily basis. And I'm thinking, what if I want to do something? Now, don't get me wrong, the way that it works is I'll give my coach my availability. So, if, for example, if I'm travelling on a Tuesday and I can't run, fine. Or if I want to do my long run on a Sunday, not a Saturday, I'll give them that detail. But I still, it was the commitment that scared me. Mm-hmm. And I probably hadn't discussed with my wife as well the level of commitment. You know, but if I was running six or seven hours a week and I was stepping it up to maybe 10 or 12 hours a week, whilst that's doubling the amount of work I'm putting in, it's not. It's still only 10 hours out of a possible, well, however many hours I'm in, yeah. I can't do maths. But, but the point is, it, it still was extremely daunting for yeah. me. Extremely daunting. And, and that lasted for a good... I was maybe five or six months of just getting my plan and realizing, oh, I can I can fit things in. And even mm-hmm. though, as I said, I'd already mentioned my availability, the commitment scared me. It's familiar. It's familiar. I'm a wee bit of the because I'm still in marathon mode in terms of mileage. So my mileage is up. Well, I was doing twenty five k a week before this marathon malarkey. I was running five k a day, five times a week. Like yeah. thoroughly enjoying myself. I don't know what possessed me to start being yeah. one of these <laughs> kind of weirdos that start doing 40, 50, 60 k in a week. But I still do struggle a bit with the feeling like I'm stealing time. I'm stealing time from the kids. I'm stealing time from Nicola. Or when I get back, I've just been in a two or two and a half hour, three hour long run. You know, you you really should try and be put your feet up a bit, but. There's a life there to do. I just no, wonder how you're dealing with that bit. That, that transition was difficult for probably for my wife as well because if I was training for, I think I think I, when I took on the coach, I think I'd already signed up for Devil of the Highlands. So almost immediately, I'm out doing three and four hour sessions on a Saturday. And Susie and I, my wife and I hadn't really discussed that. So she said to me at one point, so this is it then, every Saturday you're away for three or four hours. And I'd say, well... Yes, if I'm training for a 42-mile ultra. Not if I'm training for a marathon. So, But I never gave her agency in that decision-making process. I made that unilaterally, and that was a mistake. And what I've learned is that involve the people that are important to you because if I want to commit to this and want to do this, I need her buy-in. I'm a little bit lucky. My youngest is 12, but she'll only have been four. Sorry, she'll only have been maybe seven or eight. So whilst not a baby... And, and therefore requiring less attention, I've still got three daughters and a wife yeah. and a busy job. Um, I always, not always, I predominantly run early. Mm-hmm. So I'll just get up and go, whether that's half five or six or whatever. So I try to limit the impact. And marathon training is actually easier, I found, because my kids are a bit older and there'd be times where on a Saturday morning I'd go out and do 20-odd miles and be home before anybody's up. Yeah. So... That's finding that balance. A little bit harder if you're training for West Island Way, where it's a 97-mile race, and it does require, because it's, it's it's less about the mileage sometimes, it's about time on feet. It's about yeah. doing five or six hours on your doesn't feet. doesn't matter how fast you're running, you just need to be exactly. on, on the feet so for that time. On time. Feet. Yeah. So, But those races are few and far between. You're mm-hmm. not doing 97-mile races five times a year. No. So by changing up what I choose to sign up to allows the family to find a or find a nice balance between between running and family yeah the marathon the marathon the change to marathon 
felt quite doable in terms of the training. The, the biggest difference is a long run weekend, obviously. Yeah. That, that bit felt very different, but through the week I'd already probably started upping that mileage. But now, I've, like you, probably your journey is faster than mine and obviously much longer in the making. But I've signed up for the Devil of the Highlands and I feel a wee bit right now like, what the fuck have I done? Like, what, what, <laughs> Who decided this was a good idea? I think I get caught up in the club, 10 people signing up of which I think we might be down to about five still running. I'm like, oh my God, I've been there here. So I'm in that that space you are thinking, right, where where do we go next? Mentality, mindset, these are all questions that I, I suppose I have for you because I look at your running, you're up early, you're out. I'm terrible in the mornings. I hate getting up, crack of dawn. Never done it before. Never had time to do it. I was teaching before, so I was up out. I was already in school, like seven in the morning. Yeah. So there was, no, and I was commuting there. My life's changed now. I probably could have, but I'm just never been in the habit. But I also see you going out and running. There is a loop in your Strava that's there. Yeah, I know. Four times a week, and I've seen you doing some crazy distances on it. That mentality bit, how do you flick that switch to say, I'm going to run? What is that, about a three, four K loop or something? Actually, it's 2.2 it's 2 miles, so it's not too far away for just under four K. But yeah. if I'm doing marathon training in particular, there's two reasons why I do that. Firstly, if, I'm, if it's February and it's a Saturday morning and I've got 20 miles to do, 23 miles to do, I probably need to take a pack, right? If, it's, if, it, if I need to run 23 miles on the flat, I'm probably going over the Erskine Bridge because I live in Bishopton. I'm going up the canal. I'm coming across the Clyde Arc and back down through Renfrew. I've nothing to see there. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a cold February morning and I need to take a pack. Whereas if I run past the house every 2.1 miles and I'm doing 23, 24 miles, Every other time I'm passing out, I'm picking up a gel or I'm picking up some fuel. That's the one. That's the first reason. The second reason is it's the mentality piece for me. If it's ten loops and I'm getting to loop eight and I want to stop, I need to keep going because in a race I can't really stop. And I've weirdly found a, a, a real mental strength for doing that loop because my marathon training will predominantly be around that loop. And even training for this race and training for previous ultras, I did a I did a 24-hour race in lockdown and I trained just doing four-mile loops. I did yeah. 10 of them at 40 miles because I just find that mentally it gives you that resilience and that ability to know that you just you can keep on going and not stop. I wonder how many of your neighbours call you an arsehole every time you're in by their window. I, I remember, <laughs> I know, I remember, um, well, actually that, interesting enough, the 24-hour the, the race, I did in half-mile loops. Yeah. So I did 101 miles and half mile loops in my house, um, nice. because it was a it was an online race run by Pylon actually, and it, the way that it worked was that they would give you a distance every hour, and you had to run that distance. How fast or how slow was up to you? You just had to be back within the hour, and then you would submit your time, and then at five to the next hour, you would be given the distance for the next hour, which is like four, five, or six miles. But I took a view that why would I go and run out six miles with hills? when I can just run this half mile flat loop. And that's why I did it that way. And I was kind of used to running loops, but that was strange because people were then going, he's still going around yeah, exactly. this half mile loop of housing yeah. estate. I know. Like, like Forrest Gump, but you're not allowed out the house. It's just exactly. running, running on a leash around. Running on a leash. But <laughs> I think the, I get, there's a familiarity with that 2.1 mile loop though. I know every corner of it. I know what's yeah. coming up. And even this morning I was doing 4.4 miles and I just did two of the loops which I know some people think was, is boring as hell, but if I'm, if I'm only running in the streets and I don't have time to go into some nice trails, 
I understand it. I do understand it with like a four or a five mile runner because there's I've got my loop here. We've all got our loops. So I've got my 5k route. I've got my 10k route. And if if all things being equal, that will be the route I'll run for that distance if that's what my training is that day. But it's when it starts to kick into those 10 miles, 15 miles, and I see your Strava and I'm like, oh my, there's a mentality. It's like a, I would, it's like a mentality monster of, it's because you know every corner that would put me off it, I think, because I know how far to go, how many more times I need to see that, how many times I need to run by my front door. Uh, and because you're saying you go pick up a gel, but your couch is also in there. So it's your bed. <laughs> I know, but I, I, and I get that, but I think if I'm doing, let's say if I'm doing a 23 mile, 22 mile run in marathon training, in that run there might be three 20 minute pickups to marathon pace or quicker. And even within those three 20 minute pickups, there might be five one minute surges. So I've got my watch on the session. I don't have my watch on the, the distance. Yeah. And what sometimes I find would be that I get to the end of the third 20 minute pickup, that might be mile 20. And all of a sudden I look at my watch and go, because then I maybe turn my watch back to the distance and go, I've only got two miles to go because I'm breaking it down into sections. Yeah. Which is how you break down a race anyway, especially mm-hmm. whether, it, whether it be a marathon, which you're yeah. just focusing on each mile, or an ultra where you're focusing on maybe each checkpoint. Because as mm-hmm. soon as you start thinking about the distance, then it becomes a bigger challenge. Yeah. So I don't even think now about the distance I'm running in 2.1 mile loops. I think about the session I'm running it in or whatever, yeah. I'm, whatever I'm doing. No, there's, there's, when I hear you saying it, there's some logic in it. I understand it. When I look at the map, I think, oh my God, absolute psychopath. <laughs> but there's something again in there about the, the coach, what you've learned, the variety in your session. I think I wouldn't be here dishing out advice to marathon, first time marathoners. I only was one a few weeks ago. But the one thing that changed for me between the first block and this time round was using add a coaching app but again it gave me variety of the sessions it pushed to my watch it did stop me thinking about the overall distance because there was variety within it and you've got those bits where you're having to pick up the pace and that would be something if you i think if you are following a generic plan i would say speak to somebody look into it and try and give yourself something within those 10 miles 15 miles 20 miles that's not just trudging along because that's actually not how a race works at any point no i think and people then become bored with the training and, yeah. and I think that's the biggest concern because if you start to not enjoy the training, then it, then you don't get your bed and you don't mm. go and do it. And if you've got an 18-mile or a 16-mile run to do and you're not looking forward to it, then you're going to start to question why you're doing it. And the the variety that breeds, sorry, not the variety that breeds, but certainly the, the speed changes, that, that variety breeds a certain level of enjoyment for me because it's yeah. not that just mundane running at eight minute mile pace or five minute per kilometer pace mm-hmm. no I, definitely it took me a wee bit to get to that and but i can see the benefit all the speed work actually has been the biggest difference in my running since i joined the club at every pace every distance it's completely revolutionized how i feel about running because there's always a goal a challenge even if it's one minute reps 1k reps whatever it is there's five goals within a session instead of oh god i need to run 5k yeah you know lights out all the time it can't always be like that um, right, I want to ask you a bit about the John Muir way <laughs> before I take you back to Devil of the Highlands, which is where we're going to go with this episode. So the John Muir way, um, first tell tell anybody that doesn't know what that is, what it is. So it's a trail that runs predominantly west to east, and it runs predominantly west to the east because John Muir, who was a naturalist who was born in Dunbar, so there's, his house is in Dunbar. He then moved to America, 
as a young man, and he's fairly famous for, he's called the father of the National Park. So he was uh, instrumental in setting up Yosemite as a national park. He spoke to, I think it was Roosevelt, who was the American president at the time, and tried to have these spaces for people to go to and enjoy it that, that were protected by, by government and protected by, by government legislation. So that was that was kind of his background. There's a John Muir Trail in America, which is a bit longer with a bit more elevation. But the John Muir Foundation in Scotland wanted to have something to commemorate him here. So they chose Helensburgh. I'm not 100% sure why they chose Helensburgh as a starting point. I think because it allowed them to link up certain trails because there is a trail that goes from Helensburgh to Helensburgh to Balloch. Then you go into the Kilpatricks and then you essentially go from the Kilpatrick Hills down into Strathblane, the old railway line down to Kirkintilloch. Yeah. And then you join the canal at Kirkintilloch and you're pretty much the canal to... Almost, almost Edinburgh. Although you come off at Falkirk for a bit, and you come off at Croy, and you take in where the Battle of Falkirk was, and at Croy you go over Croy Hill at the Antonine Wall. So they try to link in historical reference points across the country. You go up to Queen's Ferry over the bridges, and then you kind of go down through Edinburgh, and you get you kind of follow the coast right coastline from Musselburgh, Port Seaton, down into North Berwick and into Dunbar. So it's 134 miles, predominantly trail. Um, with a little bit of tarmac, Adam, and a little bit, or probably quite a lot, probably of, of canal towpath. Yeah. Okay. And that's a hundred. What did we say? A hundred and how many miles? One hundred thirty-four. One thirty-four. One thirty-four miles. So your goal in running that, and we'll get to the reasons why in a minute, was to run that, and you were trying. You you had a something in mind for getting the fastest known time. Fastest known time. A very so very a ambitious. Bit- Time. But there is, and, and, and so James Stewart, who is my coach, he has the fastest known time going from Helensburgh to Dunbar. And I'll yeah. get this wrong, but I think it's 23 point, I think it's 23 and a half hours, but he'll follow it with me if I've forgotten it. It's maybe 22 and a half hours. But anyway, he officially has the FKT, the fastest known time. Some, some people argue that by going the other way isn't a new FKT, but the other way is a different route. So... But I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not really precious. If somebody wants to say, well, James has run it faster than you, then fine, because I don't really care. But the idea was that I would just try and run it in 24 hours. The previous holder of that record going the way I went was 33 hours. So in order to set that FKT, in my mind, I just had to run it quicker than 33. But I thought 24 opti- optically looked quite good to try and run it in a day was my, yeah. was my, was my challenge. Yeah. And can you tell us the the reason, the unfortunate reason that precipitated why you chose that sort of bigger challenge and why you chose to raise funds for the Beatson along the way? Yeah, so I, the idea came from, I just couldn't get inspired about a couple of races and a few people I'd known had done some bigger challenges as, as opposed to a race and I needed something that was fitting in with a time scale. So James and I had discussed it. And then I thought, once we decided it, I thought I could try and raise some money. So my father passed away in August 21. He, he died of prostate cancer and he was looked after very well by the Beatson. Um, so much so that he, he, he would tell people about his treatment, about how good they were. Um, also, my mother-in-law is currently, unfortunately, going through chemotherapy and she's treated there. So it seemed like a, a natural um, thing to try and raise money for. I'd only ever raised money once before during my first marathon. And I felt that the combination of the beats in which in the west of Scotland is extremely well known and well thought of, and 134 miles would be kind of a, enough for people to say, okay, there's a fiver, there's a tenner. And that was the idea. Um, and it certainly worked that way because I'm sitting now just over £11,000, which Ryan has blown me away. £11,131 at the time of recording. 
and hopefully yeah, more so after people hear this. Hopefully. Uh, when that will is, that be open until? When will, your, when will you keep that open? I think, well, I'm pretty sure it stays open for six months unless I decide to take it down because okay. I, was, I was originally going to do it in June last year and got injured. So they sent just given sent me an email, I think, which to say, would you like to close your page down? To which I said, no, no, I need you to change the actual event date, which they need to do for you because um, I've not I've not actually managed to do it yet. So because the money gets funneled into the just given page, then just goes to the beats, and yeah, I don't actually feel like I have to do anything. So can I ask um, why you had to reschedule twice? What was it? Yeah, so the first time, which would have been June twenty two. Um, I pulled a muscle, I think, in my my, my hammy and my leg. See, to be brutally honest, I wasn't ready to do it. Yeah. And the injury probably helped me. Mentally or physically? Just weren't mentally ready for it? I think I think I was mentally ready for it. I think I thought I was and I wasn't. And I, I'll be the first person to admit I was quite happy to, to patch it. I then got a date, I think, which was the 9th, maybe the 19th of August. And I was ready. But a week before, I pulled a muscle in my glute doing, it was my own fault, it was a week before, I I was doing a few pickups and I just went too fast, showing off, I was feeling great, the training had gone well, I hadn't done a huge amount of speed work, I put on my shoes with a carbon plate on them and I was doing 520s per mile, which is ridiculous, no need whatsoever to be doing that, that, that speed, a week out of a 134 mile endurance run, so, but I was ready. Physically, sure. and I was certainly Sh- ready mentally. Showing off in the 17th loop past your neighbour's window as well. I was, Ryan. I was just showing off. I was being a dick. And for our committed for our committed American listeners, and there are quite a few, patched means they ignored it, by the way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, br- a tremendous sorry. word. <laughs> um, so it, wait, that, that took a bit of time, and I probably still wasn't right coming into the start of this year, but it did start to feel like a bit of a monkey on my back. I think I'd raised about three and a half, four grand by that point, And I kind of thought, I'm going to have to do this. So I needed a mindset change to say, well, okay, let's start working towards doing it. The 9th of June, just week week before Western and Way Race, seemed like a decent date to do it. Um, but the training still wasn't brilliant. I, I still had the glute issues. I then had some really bad hip issues. I had to change my training strategy. I stopped doing speed work because speed work was aggravating everything. Yeah. So I just focused on endurance, which became a little bit boring because I do enjoy speed work. I enjoy running fast. Um, and I think that's where you get the best gains. There's no question that your yeah. fitness levels improve. You clearly need endurance, of course you do. But if you want to step your fitness up, it's, it's the speed work that does that. And even running 134 miles, probably at a starting pace, a nine-minute mile, I think you still need speed work to build fitness yeah. but I couldn't it, do that it, it improves you in every facet of the running That's I've, yeah. I've learned that I think I've learned that over time now and a lot of people shy away from it but it's my favourite types of session as well and they only get they never get easier they just go faster that's yeah. the thing and people oh I can't do it well it'll feel just as bad you know you'll keep breaking those rep times and, and you get there can I ask something about the potentially personal question but I lost my dad just a couple of months after you and did did the weight of that did you attach any weight to the run because of what you were raising the money for did that ever become something weightier than the run itself I think it did when I had put it off twice I'd need to really think about how I felt when I put it off the first time I just it scared me of course it did you know it should scare you 134 (laughs) miles should scare you so you know 
I, I don't, I'm not sure it was the weight of, of the expectation. That did have some resonance before two weeks ago, but I felt ready two weeks ago. I felt more mentally ready than, I, than even I was in the second attempt last year. Um, but it didn't become a hindrance, I think, to answer your question. I, I needed because I, need, I knew I needed to use it because I was determined to get to Helensborough. Nothing was going to stop me getting to Helensborough. I'd made a decision to get and did to you use it? Did you use it during the run? Oh, I did. Well, yeah. I doubt so, it was get, in, but, but, so I was in the forefront at points. Oh, a bit in a positive way. Yeah. Because I got badly dehydrated around marathon, marathon distance to the point where I thought, this, this is fucked, this is over. But I was able to pull it back by eating salt tablets and found a way to get the excess water out of me because there was the, the water was in me, it just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um and that was the only time I was worried. Maybe maybe again during the night section. But I think I had enough mental resilience and mental belief to say to myself I was finishing this. If it took me 40 hours I was finishing it because yeah. even when I, my body my body was still working at that point. I might not have been moving as fast, but because I knew I'd overcome the dehydration meant that well if I've overcome that and I've kept on going and despite how difficult as it was difficult it was during the night sections I had that belief I could do it and that's something that has changed in my running Ryan in the last probably two years I, I, I was still and it's not been arrogant I think you need a level of self-belief to be able to think you can do something and I certainly found that in Manchester Marathon last year because I had a time in mind and I had to just keep telling myself that I was a sub 245 marathon runner I yeah. think instilling that belief in yourself whether it's I am a sub two, I am a sub four hour marathon runner, or I am a sub fifty minute ten k, starting to believe you can do it yeah. is more than half the battle. And I would suggest on an endurance event like two weeks ago, I think it's seventy percent of the battle. Yes, you needed to have trained, and you can only have that self belief in any effort if you've put if you've trained. But if your training has been almost brilliant, ninety percent optimal, you should be able to move forward with that self belief and yeah. train your head to say. I can fucking do this. That, that's a learning curve, though, as well. I, I'm still not there. Uh, and I other people, other I, people have told me that, like, oh, you're, you've done this and you've done that. And people from the club, you're running so well. Your time should be X. And I'm like, no, because my head's not X yet. And that that takes time and experience. And you've had a lot now of experience of adversity, success, failure. You learn from all of it. You do, right? But I didn't get that till I didn't get that till March, April, 2022. And I, I, I did a coach for four years at that point. So I started getting coached by James Stewart in June, June 2018. And I probably didn't really feel confident enough in my own ability. Now, that's maybe, maybe you shouldn't say that to people because it, so it took four years to find that confidence. No, I but think I absolutely think, you should tell people that because it, uh, that'll be different for everybody, though, whenever they yeah. find their moment. But, that's, but it did, and, mm-hmm. and I found it at Manchester last year. Yeah. And that changed a lot for me in, in my ability to believe that I can do something. Because, yeah. again, I'm not that much different to anybody else. I really, really enjoy running, and I really enjoy the training, and I just put the effort in. But putting the effort in physically is one thing, but believing you can do it mentally is another, and you need yeah. to be able to find that. Yeah, I, I think it's so beneficial for people to hear that that took four years, though, because we live in the world of being sold quick fixes. Do this plan, and you'll get that. Do this 90 days, and you'll lose this weight. The, the reasons, the process, the chipping away, the showing up every day is the actual real sustainable success. It's the only way to get sustainable success. It's never a quick fix. You might get quick wins once. You might have a great day, but you certainly don't get success over time. 
Ryan, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Of course they would. Aye. You know, yeah. and I've found something that I love to do. Running's changed my life, so I'm prepared to put the effort in because I enjoy it and love it so much. The consequence of the outcome of that is that I'm able to perform how I want to perform in, in races or experiences like, like two weeks ago. Yeah. But you've still got to put the effort in. Yeah, um, that, I mean. And that's just that's just a basic fundamental principle, isn't it? I've got nothing of but admiration for for what you did. I was following it at the time. I'd spoken to Colm. I knew he was going out to meet you at one of the legs, and I know you had great support along the course. And again, I would urge people tap into that Young Hearts Run Free podcast, and you'll get a more detailed breakdown of the the day itself. And I'm not going to labour there because I don't want to take too much of your time because I want to take you back to that first Devil of the Highlands. Um, because yeah. selfishly, that's where thing? I'm at. Of course, you can. Just before you do that, because. If people listen to the Young Hearts, they'll they'll hear about the experience and about what was important to me and how important it was to have the support crew, not just Colm and my brother and mother mate Stuart who were in a car, but the people that came out. I actually forgot to mention a chap called Gordon Brown. And it's really annoying because he's my bloody neighbour. And as I sit and record this, I can actually see his house. And he came out and because he joined me at night and because I was a bit, not delirious, but tired, he ran a good section with me and he came all the way out to Falkirk and I forgot to mention his name. So apologies, Ryan. I just wanted to get his name in because I felt bad about missing it the last time. <laughs> Consider the record corrected. Plus, it's one more person you get to spread the podcast to and tell me how to listen now. So I'm all for it. <laughs> if, you, if you want to mention another 300, crack on. Just make sure you send them the pod. Um, before I take you to the Devil of the Highlands, one more question I have about that I would be... I'm always intrigued to know this. Did you learn anything new about yourself? Because you've done so many countless thousand miles. Did what? What did you come away with that was something new, or did you not? Did you just learn? Did it confirm anything about yourself? I don't think self belief is binary. It's not on or off. It's 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 a it's a transition. It's a it's a journey of self belief. And whilst I might have been confident in my abilities to a point because of what happened at Manchester, I now have that tenfold. I've learned that I have that resilience. Yeah. So much so that I was probably thinking about doing two marathons next year. I think I might sign up to West Ellen Way again and do it again just because I think that I can take that self-belief and the ability just to grind out against it. Not adversity, that's too strong a word, but certainly against a lot of factors, particularly dehydration and just having that bit in between my teeth to say, I'm going to get to the finish line. Yeah, yeah that's that's... That's a phenomenal, a phenomenal thing to have achieved. I'm not sure I want to run 130 miles to get to that <laughs> realization, but I'm proud of you. I'm delighted for you. That's it. It is incredible. What you've done is something that most people would never even aspire to do. Uh, let's be honest. That's not the everyday challenge. You know, running a marathon for some people will be the pinnacle, and that's a huge achievement. 10k for some people is, but what you've done is truly, truly inspiring, and that's such a lot of money that hopefully will improve somebody somewhere's end of life experience support their family they do terrific work i've been through they do that type myself so so more power to your elbow i'll share your page and if anybody listening to this has got a couple of quid to chuck in there's always good causes going around i know how much people are supporting but literally pound or two whatever you can support i would encourage you to throw in that uh throw in that way and we will do the same with the podcast we'll make our donation as well when i get you to share your link with me thanks mate so let's dip back into that devil of the highlands because that's where i am and selfishly i use the podcast to help me understand what i'm doing next and try and keep pushing myself on i'm probably sitting at a point i'd be quite open i think i need to be in this podcast to say right now i've got the fear i went out in the pentlands at the weekend um i saw that i saw that on it it looks i've never ran there which is ridiculous but it looks awesome yeah so i probably went in there 
just the right amount of naive because had I known really what was there, I'm not sure I would have taken it all on in one, given I'm coming from roads and I mean that might be the that is definitely the longest run I've ever done in trails, never mind the elevation. It's about similar elevation, um, but to, uh, roughly two thousand meters is the devil. I learned some hard lessons that we'll touch on, but can you take me to when you were going into the devil, where where the mindset was? What were you completely raw to that world as well? No, not a little bit. I'd run, I'd run, I'd run Glenogle twice, so the thirty three mile twice, and I'd done the fling twice. I'd done the fling that year, so the Highland fling. So the Devil is essentially the second half of the West Highland Way from yeah. Tyndrum to Fort William, to about 42 miles. The Highland Fling is the first part of the West Highland Way from Mogai to Tyndrum. So I'd ran the Fling twice. So I had an idea. I'd ran obviously longer than the Devil because the Fling's 52. But the second half of the West Highland Way is probably my favourite part of the West Highland Way. So I was looking forward to it from that perspective. And the Devil's such a great race to break down. It's such an easy race to break down because... You start at Tyndrum or Tyndrum, I never know how to pronounce it, but we'll call it Tyndrum. I'm so glad and you said in, that because I was thinking I was Tyndrum to me, but there you go. And I'm sure I've been corrected many times, mate, but I still kind of mm. remember what I've been told. So, um, But you run from Tyndrum to Bridge of Orkey, that's extremely runnable. You know, that's quite a fast section because you kind of follow the, the railway line out of there and it undulates a little bit. But once you get to Bridge of Orkey, there you're at your first checkpoint, maybe around seven or eight miles. Then you go up over, as it's called, Jelly Baby Hill. It's been euphemistically entitled that because during the West Selling Way race, you would always get a Jelly Baby at the top of it. But once you're up the top of that, you come down into um, at the start of Rannoch Moor, and then it's a kind of steady climb to Glencoe, but it's an extremely runnable steady climb. There'll be elements of it where you need to walk, depending on, on levels of ability, but it's just about breaking the race down. Because once you get to Glencoe, you're two miles to the bottom of the Devil, which is the Devil Staircase. Yeah. Most people are walking that unless you're Rob Sinclair, who's one who's, who, who holds the course record. But once you get up to the top of that, you're then all the way down at the Kinloch Leaving, which is extremely runnable. There's a horrible climb at the Kinloch Leaving, but you're walking it. You go up to the Larig Moor, which is the big moor section. It kind of dog legs right to Landavra, and then you're six miles to Fort William. So it's such, in my mind, okay, I've done it, and I've done the West Island Way, so I've also done it, and I've trained on it a good few times. I just think you can break it down easily. And I really believe that when you get out of Kinloch Leaving and you get onto the Larig Moor, I'll get my mileages wrong, but let's say you've maybe got 12 or 13 miles to go and you think, I've done 30 miles, but and you've only got 12 to go. I find it quite an easy race to break down. And yeah. it's a thoroughly enjoyable race. And the finish is phenomenal. Um, a real part of the atmosphere. So the, the, the way that it's ran, the people that take part, the people along the way, you know, it's so different to a marathon where folks speak to you as opposed to most marathons where nobody says a word. You're yeah. just running with your head down. Introducing checkpoints where you've got drop bags. There's a whole team of people at those checkpoints to help you fill your water bottles up and most people are smiling and laughing. It's just a, it's a brilliant atmosphere, Ultras. That's where they're quite enjoyable. So that's already doing something for me, right? Because so I did the Pentlands, as I said, same, same elevation, but much more condensed distance. I think it was... Uh, I don't. I, I work in kilometers, so I'm rubbish at miles. It was 27. I, 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 I think it was 20. Uh, 20 uh, it was about 18 miles, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, 18 miles. I think it was. I think I remember someday that was running the miles saying that 18 miles. So 18 miles that elevation, but there was almost next to no running in between. I was hitting. I think it's 16 peaks. You're coming off one very some in some parts very steep decline, and then you, before you know it, you maybe. I think the longest run out we had was maybe about a k and a half, or maybe a mile. We maybe got one mile in between 
the next climb and then most of them were walking and so I never really got the rhythm but it just left me at the end of the day I rolled my ankle twice quite badly the second time um, didn't quite catch it in time and just heavy footed tired legs whatever it was but I came away probably with my confidence more rocked than than bolstered because I'm like right how the hell am I meant to put all that extra distance and on top of yeah. that elevation um so to hear you breaking it down like that sounds it's like how they eat the elephant one bite at a time that sounds much more attainable and you know the two big climbs which are the devil which is obviously the race is named after which is the devil staircase just um out in a fee which is at the bottom of the bucolet of moor so as you drive through glencoe the big mountain that's on your yeah. left hand side I've, I've walked to west island way so i've walked to I, so you know so, yeah, so, so, yeah. so that claim nobody's nobody's running that climb unless you're superhuman so you yeah. look forward to that because it's just a fast hike which allows you to you know if you start walking in a marathon you feel as if you're, you're failing whereas yeah. if you walk up a hill in an ultra you, you should be walking up a hill in an ultra yeah and then the, the even larger climb or, or in terms of the same bigger climb out of kinlock leaving because you go right back down to almost sea level again is a bigger climb but it's a walk again so you're expelling less energy and you get to a checkpoint in kinlock leaving and it's been a while since I've done it, but I think the checkpoint or the drop bag section is maybe only 1K or maybe even half a K from the start of the climb. So you're essentially getting your stuff, picking picking up what you need, run into the bottom of the climb and then start eating on the climb. Yeah. You know, don't eat before you get there because it's so much easier to take on fuel and nutrition when you're walking. And yeah. You're going to be walking for 25, 30 minutes to get to the top of that climb, letting the food go down. I think I battered a gel at the top and then started hammering it along the Larig Moor. Yeah. which is extremely, again, extremely, extremely mm-hmm. runnable depending on the conditions. Yeah, and that's a, so, that's the other unknown for me is the, the drop bag scenario because I've never done anything like that before. And then Saturday, or Sunday there, sorry, you had to carry everything that you had out with you. There was nowhere to get X. So right. you could, there's only there's X amount of water you can carry, isn't there? And I would have loved to have had double the amount that I actually had out. I was quite dehydrated by the end and, and, and felt the effects of it. So there's definitely, I'm trying to keep the sense of perspective of, you know, but rolling my ankle was actually the thing that's rocked me most because my ankles are pretty poor from playing football for a long, long time, like 12, 13 years of playing junior football. My ankles are like jelly babies, actually. Um, so to, to, to turn it, I'm thinking, oh, God, can I can I do this? So what kind of advice would you give to anybody running that in terms of descending? Because that's where all my issues seem to come. It's not going up and it's not running the flat. It's the it's a so I've, got, I've, I've got friends that I run with who, who really struggle with descent, whether it's a confidence thing or, or not. I mean, some people use poles, but the devil, you can't use poles. I'm understanding yeah. is you're not allowed to use poles. Poles yeah, certainly take a lot of the, the pressure off your off your knees and off your quads and because you can you can use your arms to weight, but you're going to have to practice. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the, I actually practice running downhill and I would do sessions where I would, the, the recovery would be on the uphill. Now, I would practice probably running down in tarmac, but you can still get some specificity on that or some like-minded way of doing it because you're you're using the same muscles. When you're running down a trail, you're going to have to watch where you're planting your feet more, yeah. but you're getting your body used to running down a hill. Take the recovery in the uphill, sprint the downhill, and, and run it hard. Then you can run harder and run faster on downhill if you're on tarmac than you can do in a trail, but it yeah. does take a wee bit of practice. Yeah. Um, as, and as with the drop bag, so if you're using like an active route or something or something like Tailwind and it's coming in powder, I, I would go and buy boots through this very, very small plastic bottles. I think they're 125 mil. So I'd already have it pre-mixed in one of those bottles. I would need to add more water, but it's a hell of a lot easier 
putting in an extremely uh, strength or not not that not that much diluted active fruit into a bigger bottle and then topping it up with water yeah. and messing about with trying to get the, the powder stuff in. So there's yeah. just those little things. And eat, I was crewing for the West Island Way uh, at the weekend and we were at um, Bridge Orkey and some people had decided to have drop bags. I mean, some of the size of these drop bags, you know, it beggars belief how much you don't need that much stuff. Like packed you know? full. Aye. You know, yeah. I've you know, no idea. Say, I have no idea what to put in a drop bag. I'm like, I'm like a pillow. I think, I think <laughs> again, everybody's different and nutrition is extremely personal and what's different for you. But realistically, I've found 50 grams of carbs an hour. For, and that, that's made up of the carbs I'm getting out of active route as well. Mm-hmm. So I would maybe be trying to get around 35 to 40 grams of solid carbs in plus 10 grams of carbs in active yep. fruit. Some people will try and get 90. And, and I'm not that scientific, Ryan. I don't want to scare people off and say, no, no, it's just interesting here. Content. Yeah. But I think 50, and, and I don't know if 50 grams is right for me. And I'm not that scientific that I'm going to spend more time thinking about it. No. I, I generally tried 50 grams of carbs for John Muir Way and it seemed to work. Um, I, ex- I experimented with solid food only on Sunday. That's the first time because I would usually, well, the marathon was all gels. I've never tried solid food running at that pace because, like, the thought of actually having to keep going yeah. when you're chewing and trying to breathe. Um, so I was doing that eating and then my body handled. So there was a success. If I probably a few days removed, I'm like, well, coped fine with eating a bagel with some peanut butter. And I would definitely supplement it though with gels, a tailwind, active route, that type thing. There's no way I'd be trying to eat solid food the whole way round that. But it's just such a steep learning curve. Your first one, how much help did you have prepping for that type thing? Um, again, my first ultra would have been Glen Ogle. So, again, not a lot. That would have been 2016. I did, because I'm pretty sure I did Glen Ogle the same year I did a marathon. So, again, I wasn't sure. But the second one was a bit better. My first fling was a bit better. And, and just practicing, practicing eating while training. I did quite a lot of practice eating even before John Muir Way. I tried different things. I used to get, used to make roast potatoes on a Sunday and then freeze the ones I didn't eat and then take them back out of the freezer. And th- being in a pack would actually, obviously they're defrosted by the time you're ready to go for a run, but the potatoes on the pack, would your body heat would warm them up a little bit, <laughs> cover them in salt. And I quite like potatoes and there's good carbs in them. So I just practiced with different things. Yeah. Try of sweet and try, try of savoury. And I'm still practicing with different things. I made these rice cakes a couple of months ago, which were with peanut butter and, and jam. They're a bit footery to make, but there's about 50 grams of carbs in each one. If you use tofu sticky rice, not tofu sticky rice, sorry, um, just like sushi sticky rice. So just trying different things in order to try and make sure. I don't particularly love gels. I'll use them in a marathon because yeah. they're easy to take down and you know what you're getting. But in an ultra, I would try and eat as much real food as I possibly could and as yeah. much as my real food as my stomach could, could take. And I'm out here with gels and you're out here like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> I kind of get Nicola to help me with that. She kind of bake a potato, honestly. <laughs> Cooking's horrific. So I'm I'm up against it here. I need to cook for myself. I'm crooning for myself in this house. I'm going to ask you as well, for the sake of the podcast, a question that I texted you the other day. Footwear. Everybody finds their way with the footwear on the road. There's so many choices. You're so spoiled for choices. Then you get into... Right, okay, I'm going to go trail running. But every type of trail, so there's people I know doing Run the Blades soon, um, the 50k, and there's people doing Devil of the Highlands, some others doing like Saltire, and all these terrains are different. What type of shoe would you have run that first Devil in, and what would you think about now? What would you be looking for so from the shoe on that terrain? It's amazing. 
And see if I was running around the blades, I'd run them in alphas. Yeah. I've ran I've ran Whiteley Wind Farm. It's pretty solid all the way around. And I, if I was trying to run fast, I'd put a pair of alphas on. That's maybe not helping. But <laughs> when I ran when I ran Devil Highlands first, I used Challenger, Hawker Challengers. If I was running it tomorrow, my current preferred trail shoe to go to is 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 Nike Zagamas. So but there are a few people saying how good the new Challenger is, the Challenger ATR six. Yeah. Um it just really depends. It's such a personal thing. And a lot of those shoes, whether it be Innovate do a trail talon. Obviously, Hawker have got the, the, the Challenger. Some people prefer the Hawker Speedgoat. I like yeah. the Nikes Gammas because I've been running a lot in Nikes recently for the road. So I yeah. quite like them. But also, Hawker Torrents I quite like as well. So, I mean, I've got a pair of Innovate X talons and I've got a pair of Innovate uh, Mud Claws with about, I think there'll be maybe half a mil lug on them. They're great for the Kilpatrick's in the middle of winter. Yeah. But you don't want to be running the devil in them because although there's a steel there's a, there's a, I think there's a, a kick plate on them. They're not that comfy for solid trail. Yeah. And you want a shoe that probably protects you because on the Larig more there's some bigger boulders. So you, you, you want a bit of cushioning. But again, that's that's my that's my opinion, isn't it? It's a it's a very personal thing. It is opinion, but it's also a lived experience. You know, everybody's got an opinion, but no, everybody's run multiple races on that type of terrain, and, and yeah. you you have. So there's definitely a weight to it for me. And I had a pair of Zagamas in my my basket that I'd seen um, got good value on and I texted you before I pulled the trigger I'm like are these going to be okay for that because I ran at the Pentlands and a pair of older Nike Pegasus Trail that were pretty done and you know I suffered for it because I could feel everybody rock through the bottom and and my feet were almost like a claw by the end and I think it actually contributed to rolling my ankle because I was running with a weird gait to try and protect my feet and it just shows your preparation and they just didn't arrive the day they should have the Zagamas and they came the next day I was like oh, brilliant yeah, roll my ankle yeah. roll my ankle twice I, I think conditions as well you know and, and I wore road shoes for 130 sorry 111 miles of a John Muir Ray. I wore two pairs I changed my road shoes halfway through I didn't put on trail shoes till going over the Kilpatrick's towards the end because it had been dry for three weeks if it had been raining and I'd probably put trail shoes on from Dunbar. So the conditions are important, I think, in it, in it as well. If it had been this week, you would have been wearing Aye. two canoes. Yeah, exactly, because it's just been peeing down now for 48 hours. Yeah, so. yeah. although the, the heat probably, then you pay for the heat as well, don't you, at the same you the same time with the dehydration. Yeah. Kit-wise, the, 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 probably the other question I would have, is there anything that you would recommend for anybody taking on the first ultra, irrespective of where it is, you know, stepping up to that 50k plus distance that they might not be considering right off the bat? A, com- a comfortable vest, a comfortable hydration vest, and they're not cheap, so it's not as if you can buy three or four and try them out. I'm now on my fourth type of, of hydration vest. You know, I've had, I probably started off with a, the platypus one with the, 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 the tube, which is, I can't remember the name of it, and then I had a Solomon one, and then I think I had a Ultimate Direction one, um, I've currently just got a compressed sport one because I think the fitting is really good on it. I don't love a vest though, you know, so I don't I always like to wear them. I find a compressed sport to a belt. If I'm doing, if I'm doing maybe 25, maybe under 25 miles, if it's not a warm day and I don't think I need any more than a litre, sorry, than half a litre of water, I would just use a belt. Yeah. But in an ultra, um, certainly one for the devil, you're probably still going to need a, a vest. Um, and that's that's important because it's got to be comfortable, and then everything else will just depend on the conditions. You know, I used to say to people, "All you need is a decent pair of trainers and a decent jacket," and I would still say that. I don't follow that advice anymore because I spend too much money in running gear. Albeit, yeah. I'm trying not to spend any money in running gear in, in the 
in 2023 because I've got too much of it and it's getting ridiculous. But you do need a decent jacket. Yeah. And I think some of the cheaper jackets, you, as soon as you put them on, you're sweating. So yeah. buying a decent, whether it's Montaigne, do a great jacket, Compress, Sport, do a great jacket, Innovate, do a great jacket. But a decent range stroke windproof jacket yeah. is worth paying the money for. Well, we because... got we get soaked. We get we get caught by the tail end of that sort of storm that came through on Sunday. And yeah. thankfully, I've just taken up that ambassadorship with Lulu Lemon and they'd gifted me a... Well, you, it's not gifted your jacket. You go in and pick the things that will work for you. And I knew I needed something with tape seams, good quality jacket. And thank bloody God I had it because my T-shirt, I think, was the only thing that was dry underneath it. And I wasn't. Yeah. But the, the benefit of a good jacket that's not soaking you through can't be underestimated when you're getting whipped with the wind as well. Yeah. And with layers as well. So I'll have a couple of merino wool base layers or some light um, yeah. base layers, compressed sport or craft, and then layer up and layer down. And even this morning, I went out with a, a kind of tight running t-shirt on and a, and a light jacket I, I quite like layering and therefore it's easy to take off yeah gloves are extremely important for me i would still run in gloves in nine or ten degrees and i've got three or four different pairs in terms of thickness i've also got mitts which i swear by i've got a pair of montane prism mitts just for literally my, the heat the comfort factor I, my, my hands get very cold very quickly yeah so i've got two pairs of montane gloves I've got a pair of Montaigne proper gloves, which are Gore-Tex, which are extremely thick. So if I'm out and it's extremely cold and raining, I'll wear them. And if I'm out and it's just cold and it's dry, I'll take the other ones. And sometimes I'll take them both. I put gloves on at Queen's Ferry, or South Queen's Ferry, two, uh, two weeks ago. And my mates were still running in, in, um, with, with no gloves on, but I put them on because I was maybe 50, 60 miles in, a bit more fatigue and I'm getting colder, so... I swear by a decent pair of gloves. Yeah, see um, people see people running with vests and gloves on at races I do that. and stuff. I, I'm like, I, you know, I, I get you, you one of the guys. I'm always I, there going, what, what's happening there? Why, I, why are they doing that? I had, um, I ran with gloves on at Manchester Marathon till about mile eighteen, and I had yep. a vest on and I had arm warmers on, mm-hmm. and I, I, I enjoy the arm warmers. Again, there's probably a bit of aesthetics in mates who are listening to this who listen to me trying to justify them from a practical perspective. We'll be saying Martin's an arse, but once you're warm. You roll the arm warmer down. So Colm said that's just so you can do the gun show sticking out the man. <laughs> you'll see the you'll see the picture I use in the episode, Martin, for the gun show. That's people say that's about ninety five percent vanity. It's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, I, like, I like I do like arm warmers. Look good, feel good. The practical. Look good, feel good. That is massive. Even, you know, like a session. You go do a session, and, and I'm making sure I'm feeling good and then I go and run well you know it, it yeah. does have an impact I think yeah you know? no it does there's something about anything that can make you feel better about what you're going out to do surely has to help exactly. in, in some sense the the only th- other thing I'm really looking for you from the devil is just to tell me that it's going to be all right I think it will be all right because it's a great event Ryan yeah and the finish is phenomenal there's a wee kicker though in the finish because if you've ran the Westland Way race you'll come down to Braveheart Car Park and you hit the tarmac and you're running nicely into Fort William the devil takes you over Cow Hill which is at the back of the sports centre. So you need to go up again. You've, you've, you've just descended the forestry track. You, you think, think you're it's there. all over. And then you go up a hill again. But the finish is phenomenal. You run into this field. There's a big finish line. People are going nuts. Because that's what these events are about. It's celebrating getting to the finish. One of the things that I love about the West Helen Way Race is that the person who wins the race, because everyone gets a goblet. If you complete it, you get a crystal goblet. And the person that wins the race presents at the prize given the next day the goblet to the final finisher not the person who finishes last the final finisher because everybody finishes it doesn't matter if you're taking 
14 hours that you're taking 34 hours. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an achievement. In fact, some would argue it's an even harder achievement to be out there a second night in the West Island way. So people who are finishing at the back of a race, they're on their feet longer. You know, it's, yeah. it's a hard, yeah. hard event. But, yeah, but Martin, I bumped into my friend at Edinburgh after the marathon. He was five and a half hours, he'd barely trained. Oh, what a day he'd had. I mean, it, he worked harder than me that day, no doubt. About, yeah. You know, I've done 329, he's done five. I don't know, 30 something. But to gut it out, I don't I couldn't have done that at that point, stayed my feet that long. You know, it's you're you're working just as hard to complete. Although we do yeah. have the we do have the cutoff time, which is in the back of my mind. What kind of time did, were you talking for that first time round for you in the devil? I did six fourteen. Oh, all right, that's okay. I know, that's, I'm sorry. That's, 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 <laughs> fuck off. That's about a solid three <laughs> hours quicker than anything I'm even considering. Um it was I, I had a really good day that day. Um, I think and, you did. And I'm not I'm not immune because I'd only been been coach for three or four months, and I, I think I, I, I that climb out of Kinloch Weaving, I got to the top and I was running beside a guy, and I, I knew him as a as a decent runner, so I was just running off his heels because I thought, well, he's a better runner than me. I thought I'm feeling great, and that confidence just to say, no, I tell you this, and I just dropped the hammer, and I think I took at least nine or ten. I was ninth overall. I took it, and I, and I certainly wasn't ninth overall in the last checkpoint. I must have taken about nine or ten spaces going across the Larry Moor. So I just I had a really good day because uh, that is that's that was a no bad time for me at that at that stage in my running career. No bad time. Every now and again, I ask a question on here that I wish I'd never asked. That will be the one from this episode. <laughs> um, I will erase that from my memory, or I will edit something in that says you did it in eleven hours thirty. I'm going to say I beat Martin. Um, What's next for you? So you you spoke earlier about considering a couple of marathons, West Highland Way race. It sounds like you're thinking about coming down in time as opposed to going up in distance. Well, I think I, I, I like the idea. I love marathon training. I know it's a wee bit sadistic, but there's something about marathon training. I, I, my Manchester time gets me guaranteed into Berlin next year, and that won't always be the case, and I'd like to run Berlin. So I'd have an idea of going to do Berlin in September and I've kind of got half an eye on Manchester Marathon but I'm kind of inspired a little bit by West Island Way and going back next year this year I've got the Tyree Ultra in September but my performance it's 33 or 34 mile I think you just essentially circumnavigate Tyree there's a team of us going over should be a good laugh but how I approach that race will be fundamentally dependent on how I recover from two weeks ago and if I can recover and I can introduce some speed work I'll go and compete at it if I can't eat, I'll just go and enjoy it and I'll just complete it. And and I'm not not precious about that, to be honest, Ryan. It would just be what it is. I am going to take you now into the closing part of uh, the episode because I've stolen far more time than I asked you for. <laughs> and I know you're a busy, busy man. Quick fire round. And then I'm going to get your track for the Press Play and Run playlist that sits on Spotify. But before we do that, I've got a series of quick fire questions. So are you ready? On your marks. Get set. Favourite running shoe of all time? Night Tempo Next Percent. Favourite training route? 2.1 mile from my house. <laughs> but, proudest running moment? It's probably John Muir Way. In fact, it is John Muir Way, there's no question. Favourite podcast? I know I'm a fanboy, but I've really enjoyed Young Hearts over the last... Um, over the last it used to be my marathon talk, but I think because there's a familiarity with Run Hearts and I know the guys well... And I enjoy listening to their banter. I think that's probably my, my favourite running podcast. It'd be, be disingenuous for me to say another. Worst race or running experience? London Marathon 2021. Because I fundamentally did not train properly and tried to run 
too hard, too fast. And because I built it up too much, I really wanted to enjoy that mile experience. I'd built it up to be this awesome running down the mile. Again, my father had recently just passed away and it was, but it became horrible. I hated it. And I'll probably need to go back to London to have an enjoyable experience because it was shite. <laughs> That'll do it. All of those things <laughs> will do it. If you could run alongside yourself as a beginner runner, what advice would you give to yourself? I, I probably a lot of the things I've spoken about on here, Ryan. I think it's just about reaching out to people and asking questions and learning, being humble and, and not taking it too seriously, you know, because it's just running. Life is more important. Work, unfortunately, can be more important. And family certainly is more important. And if a race goes badly and if something doesn't go right and you have to pull out or you have to pull the ripcord, it's just running. Yeah. yeah great it's great. It's of great. course it is. I love yeah. it. Yeah. But it's just running. Yeah. Go to pre-long, uh, pre-long run meal. So what are you taking on board before you go out on these daft, crazy adventures? I, I mean, I've got a recipe for a, a bean chilli, which I love. And I'll probably have a wee bit of a avocado kind of salsa with that and maybe some some carbs and maybe some maybe I make up some small boiled potatoes, but I just make this bean chili, which I make quite a lot. I really like the taste of it. It's got the nutrients in it that I need. If I add some potatoes to that, so maybe some mini roast potatoes and a bit of a, a bit of avocado. So that's generally what I'd have the night before a longer effort. I thank God you that's the night before. I thought you meant in the morning. I was going to say to you. No, the morning, me no, up. no, no. The morning, sorry, I do a, an overnight oats thing, a, a butcher, uh, maybe with a kind of mango pulp and I make put some oats in there with some lime and some and some toasted almonds. Yeah, I thought you were sitting whacking a bean chili at four in the morning or something. <laughs> That's like a different level of insane. One inspirational Insta profile you never skip by? Probably Debbie Martin Kinsani. Do you know that? Because she just what she's achieved and, and, and actually this line came at John John Cassidy mentioned this in, in the podcast in Young Hearts, but it's Debbie's line which is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's hard that said that and, and, and what she's done in some of the events, she's done bad water, she won the spine. Debbie embodies just being a normal person, but doing amazing things because she loves running. And yeah. Debbie also talks about running forever. She wants to run when she's 80. She yeah. wants to be able to enjoy it. And, and because she says stuff like that, she knows that she needs to do more along the lines of yoga, mobility, strength work to give you that longevity because There'll be the point where you don't do races anymore, but you just want to be able to go for a run. And in order to be able to go for a run at 60, 70 and 80, you're going to have to make sure your body can still cope with yeah. that. So I think she is inspirational in my mind. Yeah, I could, couldn't agree more. She never seems limited by herself to begin with. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. Run with or without music? Uh, pretty much always, but I'll start with a podcast. So in a longer effort, I'll put a podcast on, maybe two, and then put some tunes on towards the end. I find that extremely beneficial, especially in marathon training where five or six or maybe even 10 decent tracks towards the end to get you home. Or if I ran into Glasgow with a podcast, music on to get in the back. Um, Favourite park run? Do you park run? I've only ever done a couple. Um, Limwood and Greenock. Because my long run was always a Saturday. Yeah. So it's not something I would go and do. Um, I remember one time I ran to Limwood part run and did the part run and ran back because it was part of a longer run and that was my fast effort inside the longer run but because I do a long run on Saturday it's not something I do that often. So your favourite one's between two then? We'll pull it, pull it Limwood I Yeah, that's a good one. Um, we've had that one before actually. Last one interested to hear your answer to this. I press play and run because? Because I love running you know and it's, and it's given me something that I never thought possible. I never thought it would 
be such an important part of my life. And I, I never want that to stop. And and I reflect more as time goes on about what the experience I had two weeks ago, because yes, you look at the effort and you look at the distance, but my whole reason for doing it, Ryan, was to have a running experience. And yeah. I got that. Yeah. And that's the most important thing to me. And 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 then it's how do I get the next one? You know? Aye, that's it. Amen to that. And if if you're of that mindset, there will always be what can I do next? What can I do next? Yeah. But yeah, couldn't that's that's pretty poetic. Like it. Final course of business for us before we sign off then. We have the Press Play and Run playlist on Spotify and each week the guest adds uh, the running track that they wouldn't do without in their running rotation or their gym rotation or wherever they listen to their music. So what's it going to be? It's going to be at a band that I mentioned in our previous podcast simply because nobody knows about them and I gave them the title of the best Scottish band that nobody knows about and it's Beluga Lagoon. I cannot stop listening to I this I do know them. That- you do them because you like, but not a lot of people do. And I think the more people I can tell about, and the more people that listen and download and give this man some some love because he's just phenomenal. And he is just one guy actually, even though the band is called Beluga Lagoon. He's a wildlife photographer. And I and actually I put a couple of reels on Instagram recently. One reel was me finishing, and I use a song called "The Burn," which is a beautiful song. Um, but there's like just get some great tracks. And um, what's the track that you're choosing for the playlist? I'm go- I'm actually going to choose the Glen again because yeah. it's a great way for people to get into this yeah. band. Listen to listen to the Glen by, by Beluga Lagoon. All all that's left, Martin, is is for me to thank you for your time, for your generosity, and for for that advice as well. I really was looking forward to the the chance I knew Young Hearts would be having you on, but I didn't want to let that stop me asking the things I wanted to ask you because you've been somebody I've watched running from afar for quite a while and I will get into that run in the Kilpatrick's at some point once you're definitely once that glute starts behaving itself for yours. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much and I'll I'll be watching, I'll be continuing to fanboy over your running and we'll share kind of wide and far everything that you've done. It's amazing. Well done. No, thanks for having me on. It was appreciated. Take care. Thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Press Play and Run podcast. You can really help to support the podcast by subscribing or following on your podcast platform of choice and by leaving a review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Press Play and Run Podcast and to add the Press Play and Run playlist on Spotify. We'll be back every two weeks with new episodes and please be sure to keep an eye on our Instagram page to find out which guests will be joining us. Until then, keep getting the trainers on. Press play and run.